Gilman Scholars, this is your captain speaking. Get ready for takeoff. Hello, listeners, and welcome back to the Agelman Podcast. It is great to be back and bringing you this episode for May. For those new listeners out there, my name is Sarah Murray, and I have had the pleasure of being your host and the honor of facilitating some amazing conversations with Gilman Scholarship Program alumni. And this episode is no different. Today, as it is Military Appreciation Month, we want to recognize and thank all of our Gilman veteran alumni and scholars, our Gilman McCain alumni and scholars, as well as recognize that it's also Jewish Heritage Month. So just so many reasons to celebrate and what better time than now than to announce that the Gillen McCain Scholarship will be accepting applications from undergraduate children and spousal dependents of active or activated military personnel with more details on that coming in June. So stay tuned. Now for this episode, we are bringing in Military Appreciation Month with the help of our special guest today, Jonathan Banasihan, a U.S. Navy veteran who studied abroad with the Gilman Scholarship Program in 2019 in Beijing, China. But I don't want to say too much because, you know, who better to tell you about Jonathan than Jonathan himself. So welcome to the podcast, Jonathan, and please take it away. I mean, thanks for having me, Sarah. This is really cool. Name's Jonathan Bonasihan. You've really done me better than I could have ever done. (laughs) Recent graduate, 2020 from American University, minored in Chinese. Right now I'm working in um, legal function at a in-house council. And yeah, it's a thrill to be here. We're very happy to have you. And um, you and I were quite literally just speaking about how the last time we had a chance to chat was back in October of 2021 for a Gilman Ask Me Anything. You can all view on Instagram if you're interested in seeing those sessions. But I guess for this year, how has 2022 been treating you so far? You know, uh, a lot has been going on. All good things, I hope. Mostly good things. Okay. And I was actually reminiscing about a time many years ago where I had a chance and a privilege to travel to Beijing, China, which I know is the exact same place that the Gilman Scholarship Program took you a few moons ago. I guess, first off, what drew you to studying abroad in Asia and then China specifically? I mean, we're going to have to go back even further than 2019 for this one. I was on my second deployment. We were going through the South China Sea at the time, and I really didn't kind of understand what we were doing. I'm just over there turning wrenches, fixing planes, and like, why is everybody kind of on edge, uneasy? And I I really wanted to understand that a little better and maybe try to put more effort into making sure that the risks that we were taking... Mm -hmm. And the people that were around me trying to make sure that it was worth it and that we're making things as safe as possible. And so that was kind of my decision point for me to transition and separate from the Navy and really pick up at school. I knew then that Asia was going to be really the important region. And that's originally home for me. I immigrated from the Philippines to America when I was two or three. So really, I mean, it's just a lot of touch points, a lot of interest and China was just, it was this big thing that I didn't understand and I wanted to get it to know it a little better and make sense of it more. Sure. Curiosity is key. So happy to hear that that was the main reason that sparked your interest in traveling to Asia in general and then China specifically. 
Now, and you know this best, but in the Gilman application process, we do have a focus on this emphasis on a mutual exchange of ideas and cultures with our program students and the countries that they are calling home for their respective period of time. How are you looking and hoping to embark and approach this idea of mutual exchanges? And, you know, what were you actually hoping that you could share with your host community, considering like your background and your identity? Yeah, I think really the biggest touch point for me was meeting people where they were. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of misperception and a lot of suspicion, especially nowadays, given the impacts of COVID and everything. And I mean, it started a long time ago, and I just wanted to make sure I understood what was really happening and maneuver around that, figure out just really what does somebody on the street mean in Beijing to somebody down the street in D.C. And really what I brought, that's, yeah, I definitely wasn't one of the traditional sort of faces or identities that you see studying abroad and having to bring my whole self out to that being a veteran, being non-traditional, an older student, and being an Asian American and sort of owning all of those identities, just really boiling it down and talking about it and talking through it with these people, with my host culture and explaining, I am not America, but I am a part of America. And really just making sure they understood, I'm just like you, I'm a person, I really like these noodles. Who doesn't? Yeah, honestly. Noodles are great. You actually touched upon so many amazing concepts there. For one, you mentioned the idea of, you know, helping to break your own stereotypes of what life would be like in Asia and China specifically. And that's one of the things that's fantastic about exchange study brought on both sides is that helping to embrace different cultures in ways that we didn't realize were so similar and ways that we can appreciate differences and in tandem breaking those stereotypes and all the elements and unique characteristics to your identity, Jonathan, that you were then able to bring not only help widen the scope of what it means to be an American for those who hadn't met an American yet, but then also, you know, bring that unique background with you and however that meant to you to share that with those host communities. And, you know, since we're talking so much already about your experience as a part of the U.S. Navy, let me also just at this moment, thank you immensely for your services. And, you know, your contributions during your time of service included completing, from what I understand, several tours of duty. For individuals like myself and any others who are listening, do you mind actually explaining a bit more about what it means to complete several or a single tour of duty and what was your responsibility there? Yeah, no problem. So I enlisted for a total of seven years. I initially contracted for four. And then when I was on my first deployment, I decided to keep going for reasons unknown to me. But um, it really just means, you know, you're you're putting yourself out there a little more, you're giving a little bit more of yourself for a bit longer than what you initially signed up for. I know a couple of friends that are still in the service, they're probably going to go all the way to 20 years and retire. And I know some people like me that transitioned after a while, and it just means being a little bit more available to the needs of the government, but mostly the country. And thank you again for making yourself available in those capacities and even extending your services for even longer than you necessarily had originally signed up for. Anytime. Yeah. And with us discussing, you know, your military background and your Asian American identity and sort of that also just really encompassing this unique package of characteristics that you were able to go abroad with. 
do you feel that in any way your military background specifically impacted your initial approach and perspective on study abroad as a as a concept or as a possibility for you? I would say yes. I had a pretty unique term of service. My aircraft was usually off of the ship. So we were, whenever we were on deployment and transiting, we weren't in the water. We were on airports and things like that. And that usually meant not being on base, but being within the country and really being a little bit more removed than what you would normally think. You have, you know, all, all these service members congregated on a base and locked down. We were outside, we were interacting with people. And that was kind of what drew me. I mean, I guess I could say that's one of the reasons I re-enlisted. But just being able to have those conversations and talk in that way, that that really appealed to me. And that made me want to go study abroad and just have those same interactions in different ways, different capacities, especially because while I was in, you have this line that you really can't cross. And there's some discussions that can't really be had really, truly faithfully to who you are and what you believe is right, because, you know, you're a representative of the U.S. government. But abroad as a student, even graciously under the Gilman, you get to be a little bit more of yourself. You get to show off who you are and what you believe. And that was really what resonated, what drew me to abroad. And I guess I can thank the Navy for kicking it off that way. Because you said that a lot of what drew you to the idea of studying abroad in general was this opportunity to continue your experiences as a global representative and ambassador for the United States, but in a lens where you can be a student on the forefront and bring a bit more of yourself and your own story to this cross-cultural experience that you had somewhat dabbled in previously during your time in the U.S. Navy. So how do you think you were able to approach being a global ambassador of sorts in a unique way? And how are you able to take your skills from the U.S. Armed Forces forward as you continue being a global ambassador just in a different way? I would say in terms of my experiences, they definitely colored and shaped a bit more of what I could say. I, I mean, I'd seen literally the world at that point. And so I, I brought a bit more of that perspective in. I'd served in a really unique position, bringing all those experiences in and just being able to talk about it and talk through sort of the the pressures of that life and the sacrifices that we tend to have to make. Those were unique. And yeah, just, just being able to, to have a bit more of that, that length, that perspective that all that gave me that and trying to communicate to all of that in entirely Chinese was first extremely difficult. But I mean, just, just being able to talk and be honest about things and be curious and sort of use my identity at that point as a student primarily and, and approaching it from like this curious perspective, this, uh, this learning perspective and wanting to talk through and to understand and really be heard and felt. It was definitely rewarding. It may be hard still. Like I think things can be different and be challenging, but you were prepared to take on the challenge. And sometimes that can be exciting too, to experience something new. Oh, absolutely. And I guess because you've already mentioned this, you meant the idea that because of your work with the armed forces, you had been a, you've had a chance to travel a lot. So I'm curious to know, based on that experience, did you have this forethought that you had all these expectations about what exchange was going to be and going to look like because of your background, but that ended up being quite 
contrary to what you actually ended up experiencing. I'm assuming the element of the language learning in that capacity that you did while you were abroad, that might've been one big difference, but anything else that you thought you were prepared for because you had somewhat similar experiences that you ended up arriving in Beijing and going, oh wait, I was so unprepared. Yeah, I, I mean, definitely from the language perspective, um, I studied three years before then, and I thought, you know what, I, I got this. I'm going to step off the airplane and be ready to, to talk in Chinese. I got to the immigration agent and instantly deflated. Oh, no, that's the worst time. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, like one sentence from me and she immediately switched to English. So I'm like, oh, well, this is oh, that's the worst. It was a good sign. But really learning to adapt, learning to kind of take the hits as they come and respond a little bit more intuitively and creatively. That's definitely something that I brought in with me from serving. And it really is everybody that that serves or has served in some capacity in the military. Everybody's got that will to adapt and thrive and figure things out. Even as everything's going wrong around you, you're, you're going to be there like, all right, we're going to solve this. I will say I did have a negative take back the work that I did. It's lives on the line every day in my plane. If I don't make the right adjustment, I don't fix things right. That's that's a risk. And at that point, I didn't really understand that sort of pressure, what that sort of pressure was kind of driving me into and being abroad, having to speak a language that wasn't my own adapt to that culture that's just all around me and not really having, uh, I, I mean, I had my classmates and stuff, but not being able to really connect with the people that were there, at least at first, that that took a while to figure out and reorient. And really, it was just changing it from, I have to do this to this perspective of growth and really just being, I'm here to learn. I'm here to figure things out. I know where I am. Here's where I want to be, and I'm going to be patient with myself and figure it out as I go. And I think that's really that transformation was critical. And now, I mean, it really helps to this day. That warms my heart. Now, we've done a lot of work in our conversation today focusing on how your past prepared you for your future in terms of your time in the armed forces and how that propelled you forward to studying abroad. But I kind of want to ask if you've ever... At any point, either during your exchange or post returning to the U.S., did your time abroad help you reflect even further on your time in the U.S. Navy? Like, did it help you like see that time any differently or help you recognize a growth growth that you had had during that time that became immensely valuable while you were abroad? Or did it help to enhance that perspective on your time, those seven years of service? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Just having to talk about it and figure out not just what the words for Navy are in Chinese, but just being able to reflect on what I did and how I did it and what it gave back to me and what I gave to it. That was a sense of perspective that I really didn't understand until I took that time to you know, sit and figure out, OK, I have to communicate this in an entirely different language. What am I actually trying to say with my... Um, extremely limited vocabulary. And so just just being able to boil that down and understand, okay, this is who I was and what I did and communicating that, that was extremely helpful and really unique opportunity to reflect in a way that I really hadn't done until that point. I'm happy to hear it. 
and you've touched upon your current position and where your career path has looked like since since post-graduation a little bit, but do you mind if at all talking about how possibly your the combination of your experience in the armed forces and your time abroad helped to lead you to where you are today professionally? Oh, absolutely. This isn't a dig against anybody or any particular employer, but the environment is getting a lot better. But a lot of the hiring that is done now doesn't really have a sense for what the military actually does or what it means to serve. And really, on the veteran perspective, we are very bad at explaining things. But we we have our own acronyms for acronyms, and it's it, it gets bad when you put two veterans in a room together. They'll they'll start talking this whole different thing, and you you're just gonna be nodding along like, all right, I don't I don't know what most of what you're saying is. So being abroad and having that experience is a lot easier to understand. Using that as sort of the segue to saying, you know, I went abroad and I took these skills that I had in the military and applied them to here during my abroad experience. And that makes it a little easier of a click. It's translation. It's really the same thing that I do now is sort of break down concepts into something understandable and digestible and crafting a compelling narrative. Thank you so much for sharing. Now, from your experience, from your perspective, were there any barriers that you've had to come across that you think limited you somewhat and then possibly limits other veterans from studying abroad? Yeah, and I think it's it's really not just veterans, but the the non-traditional sort of the older, older undergraduates, you know, a lot of them have families, they have obligations to take care of. Just having those practical considerations is something that most traditional students don't have to worry about. Like I was on the GI Bill, that ends when you're not in class. So how are you going to pay your lease or rent while you're while you're out on the summer? And so there's a lot of unique things that we have to overcome in order to study abroad. And really why I'm so glad that the, the Gilman is pretty unique and a little bit more flexible on the way that you can spend as long as you can figure out you know, this this is going to take me to where I want to be. I'm very grateful for that as well, I must say, because everyone should have the chance to benefit from an international experience, regardless of your your age or your demographic. And you touched on this a little bit about how the Gilman Scholarship Program particularly is unique in that we offer that flexibility to help non-traditional students like yourself to have this opportunity for international exchange. But do you have any other advice for what you know, advisors, international education professionals, or even maybe even what the Gilman Scholarship Program could do even better to support more non-traditional students in pursuing their dreams of having an, an international exchange opportunity. That connection, that bridge between these are returned alumni and the new recipients. Like I, I know we just passed out the March deadline awards. So Having that link and being able to have that conversation with people that have done it before and having those questions like, oh, how did you get this visa? Or what what are some things that I could do while I'm in country? And just having that conversation, being able to establish that this isn't just a blank check. This is a community. This is a well-resourced and just very empowering group of people that know and have passion for things. Yeah, just starting that conversation, I think, would be extremely helpful. I mean, that's genuinely some amazing advice. I mean, I know the Gilman Scholarship Program, we try 
very hard to help connect our 34,000 plus alumni in every way possible. And I think that's one of the, the strengths of our program is that you're, you'll be connected to those students for forever and have accessibility to them. But finding ways, especially in these cases, to connect non-traditional students with others and helping work out with visas and questions there and basically maybe even establishing a stronger community just for those students as their experiences are uniquely, but very also excitingly different than traditional students in that regard. So that's fantastic advice, Jonathan. Thank you. I appreciate you sharing. And unfortunately, that does conclude our conversation just for right now, just right now. But before I officially let you go, I did want to ask you just two quick last questions. One is a particularly fun one that I haven't asked in a little bit. So I'm a little rusty, but I'll do my best. <laughs> do you have a dream travel destination or international experience that you'd like to have in the near future? So I was supposed to go to Japan on a cultural exchange literally the weekend before COVID hit and Japan shut down its borders. I'm so sorry to hear that. Oh gosh. <laughs> yeah. So that kind of hurt. And I right now I, I feel like that's sort of my revenge travel bucket list right now is going to Japan and really highlighting all of that experience. There's this one prefecture that has a mascot that is in a costume. And he plays drums extremely well. I want to be able to see a show. If you look up on YouTube when you're overqualified for the job and see like this red cat looking costume thing at a uh, drum set, that's that's the video that really takes up most of my mind space right now. So I to be able to see that live and just finally have a clear brain again, that would be very awesome. Sounds like it. And I, I too dream of one day, one day, one day traveling to Japan. And then is there any way that our listeners, if you're comfortable sharing some ways our listeners could get in contact with you after this episode airs? Absolutely. So I am on the Gilman Scholar Network and I'm also uh, mostly on LinkedIn nowadays. Feel free to reach out anytime and I'll do my best to answer or really just connect in whatever way the listeners feel like. Perfect. Well, thank you so, so, so much for joining us. We really appreciate your time and all of your insights and sharing your stories. Between now and our next episode, please, listeners, make sure you are taking the time to follow us on all of our social media platforms. I'm talking to Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, the whole nine yards. And since you're here, you might as well subscribe to the Eagle and Podcast as well. And make sure to stay tuned for our next episode debuting next month. Till next time. 